The reading is from Isaiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 11, and is on page 581 of your Pew Bible. Comfort, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem, and cry to her that she has served her term, that her penalty is paid, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and hills made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together and for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out. And I said, what shall I cry? All people are grass. Their constancy is like the flower of the field. The grass withers. The flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers. The flower fades. But the word of our God will stand forever. Get you up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift it up, do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. See, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. His reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead the mother sheep. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. And a reading from the Gospel of Mark, the first chapter. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophet Isaiah, see, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way? The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, the one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Word of God, word of life. Thanks be to God. I was recently talking with a high school friend of mine about the frequency of major events happening in our lifetime. We noted together that it seems that during our childhood, which occurred during most of the Cold War, was pretty calm. Not a lot happened was uneventful, which is not true, I'll get to that in just a moment. And our adult lives, post 
Cold War are riddled with world-altering events. Like, we can't stop. But perspective, we concluded, is everything. Because the reality is these life-altering events happen all the time. We just aren't as aware of them when we are younger, or they happen on the other side of the world or to people that we don't really know. There are dates and events that will stay with us, though, no matter what. September 11, 20, 2001 would be one of those dates. And for those of us who were adults when that happened, we can talk about how the world was before 9-11, after 9-11, and how it continues to be impacted by that event. July 4th, 1776 would be another one we know well. October 14, 1066, anybody know what happened then? The Battle of Hastings happened, major event. 1619, when the transatlantic slave, began, slave trade began. And December 7th, 1941. That's another one of these dates. That was when Pearl Harbor in Hawaii was bombed by the Japanese and the United States was pulled into what would become known as World War II. Growing up, I learned a lot about that day and the impact it had on our world community. But what was rarely talked about is what happened to those American citizens and those who were waiting for citizenship who were of Japanese descent in the hours, days, and months following the attack on Pearl Harbor. We just don't talk about that. Maybe in passing, at least in California, we did, because it's not our proudest moment, and in fact, most scholars today talk about it as one of our most shameful moments as a country. In the hours following the attack on Pearl Harbor, over a thousand innocent Americans of Japanese descent were rounded up and confined for no reason, except for their ancestry. Some folks claim it was for their safety. Others believed it was because they must have had something to do with Pearl Harbor, but there is no proof. And still others were like, well, they just can't be trusted, which is rooted in some very deep and old anti-Asian sentiment that lived in our country at the time. Regardless, the forced confinement of Japanese Americans didn't stop there. Ten confinement camps were hastily created to house what would amount to over 120,000 people, men, women, children, for the duration of the war. In February of 1942, Executive Order 9066 was signed, which, gave, which then gave these American citizens less than a week to dispose of or secure all their possessions. And then they took whatever they could carry with them to relocation centers, where they would then be loaded onto trains and taken to these confinement camps somewhere in the United States often in areas that we would consider wilderness land. Manzanar in Owens Valley, California, was one such camp, and I had the privilege of visiting it this past September. Owens Valley is in central California in the shadow of majestic Mount Whitney, which is the highest mountain in the contiguous United States and is only 84 miles away from the lowest point in the United States in Death Valley. And while these camps bring up images of concentration camps in 
Europe, they look very similar. They are not forced labor camps or death camps. But they were, however, forced internment. Nobody went there willingly. These were a people in exile for no other reason than the heritage they were born into. They were not criminals or foreign spies, but ordinary, everyday people with jobs and families and lives, events to go to. And in one moment, that all changed. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says our God. But I couldn't help but imagine what kind of comfort can come in the moment of exile when everything you have known and have clung to and have created has been taken away. And I know that people try to make that better. I've read some of the words that our leaders and other Americans tried to say to make those kept at confinement camps feel better, but they all ring hollow. Comfort, oh comfort my people, God says to this heavenly council that God is apparently talking to in Isaiah. But what comfort can be had for people in exile? In this second section of Isaiah, which begins in chapter 40, ends in chapter 55, the people have been taken into Babylonian captivity. And while living in exile, God's promise of release comes. But I find myself wondering what comfort is there to be had in a wilderness, in exile, when everything we know and love is gone. The Gospel of Mark is our first gospel that was written down, probably around the same time as the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 CE. During that event, there was great turmoil between not only the political powers of the day, but between Jews and those who followed Christ, many of them in the same families. And in the days after the fall of Jerusalem, people left the city or were forced to leave the city and went into exile. The good news of Jesus Christ was written down to help comfort a fractured people. It's no accident that Mark ends his gospel originally with the women running away afraid after they see the resurrected Jesus. We know, of course, that they still tell the story of Jesus' resurrection because how else would Mark know to tell us? But the end of the story reminds us that in the midst of fear, there is hope. In the good news of Jesus, in our God, who we sometimes wonder if they're even there. This is the same comfort that people find in Isaiah. When the prophet says, or somebody, the voice says, cry out. And the response from the prophet is, what should I cry? Everything around me fades away. Everything spoken or written is like withering grass. What can possibly be said that matters? What would you have me cry out to these people? Are you going to tell me that my exile is for my own good? What other platitudes will I have to listen to as I try to live some kind of life? It's just all words that bring little comfort to the pain. What shall I cry? And into the void of the prophet's questions comes the reminder that while all around us is the fading grandeur of hollow words, God's word stands forever which I believe with my whole self. It's where I draw much of my strength when 
when faced with absolute devastation that human beings bring about against each other every day. And yet, comfort is not always found in the cold reality of exile, in the desolation of a wilderness, even when spoken by our God. Until, until the way of the Lord is prepared so that those in exile, those in the wilderness places can see and know the fullness of God present with them. We find ourselves in Advent, a truncated Advent at that. And we've heard that Advent is not a a passive time of waiting. It's an active and intentional time Because Advent is our reminder of what our lives of waiting every single day are to be about. That we, you and I, are to prepare the way for God. And we prepare that way by removing the barriers. We bring down the mountains. We raise up the valleys. We straighten the roads so that everyone could see and know our God. We make it so that there is nothing that impedes the view of God when they come. In glory at the second coming, or in the moments of each day where comfort is found as we live out our lives. As comfort is found when the people find their way to a life of love. When we find our way to living a life with God's kind of love. The people of Manzanar, who were kept there against their will, are an amazing example of this. As they took what was a horrible and harsh and cruel situation and built a thriving community that saw them through the darkest days. They created a school and gardens and places of worship and cemeteries, as you see in this picture behind me. They created a way to govern themselves so that everybody's needs could be met. They worked together to support each other in whatever endeavor, endeavor they may have as they made their way through each day. And they weren't alone in this as there were others who came and voluntarily supported them, teaching and cooking and helping. There were others who fought to rescind the order, others who cried out at the injustice happening. It's so tempting for us to read Isaiah 40 and imagine how each of us live in exile and in wilderness places. And it is true that we all have our struggles and life can get really awful. And we all feel it, especially in this particular season. But we can also read Isaiah 40 and Mark 1 and wonder how we are the ones called to make a way for God in our world. Not with empty words that fade away, but with actions that remove barriers. These last three months has been, that just, has been just that for me. But removing my own barriers, allowing the Holy Spirit to work in my life as I listen to stories, as I put myself in spaces where I am clearly the other and very uncomfortable. I was uncomfortable a lot. As I was learning I was able to remove my own barriers so that I could work for a better kingdom of God here, building a community of beloved family. 
I highly recommend this approach, although maybe not the intensive, immersive experience that I had. But perhaps you could decide to listen without judgment or defensiveness for just a wee bit longer than you normally would. Maybe waiting just a little bit longer before jumping in to comfort someone that that comfort would just blow away in the wind anyways. Sitting with discomfort for just a little bit longer than usual. What I have found is these actions open the door for the spirit to wiggle her way in and work inside of us so that the way of the Lord can be prepared. So that we find ourselves open to what God is doing in this world. So our hearts soften just a little bit. So that the message of Christmas, of the ultimate love coming down and being among us, can be heard by those who need to know it the most. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says our God, to us, to you, to me. We are the comforters, comforting one another in times of trouble and removing barriers so that the beloved community can thrive. Because regardless of what happens in our world, how often the world changes, how often we feel like our foundations have shifted, the work of God and God's people does not change. Isaiah, John, Mark, and countless others have reminded us that our work is to remove the barriers to knowing the fullness of God and God's love and justice in our lives. So let this Advent be another reminder that we are no longer a passive people but instead seek to live an active, intentional, barrier-breaking love for the sake of the world. Amen.